Hello, hello, and welcome to the pilot episode of the Love Doctor podcast, research-informed advice that can lubricate any conversation about sex. My name is Leah Tidy, and ever since I was old enough to play with Barbies, I have been fascinated with sex. I turned this fascination into a career by doing my PhD research on sexuality across the life course. Now, I brought teenagers and older adults together to share stories about sex, and we created an entire theater production about it. So now, I'm taking my skills to the airwaves, and I'm hoping to answer your questions with my mix of research-informed answers and my own stories from the field. I just want to put a disclaimer out there, though. I am by no means the expert on all things sex, and I'll tell you when I don't know something. However, I am a huge nerd, so... I will do my best to find the research and the resources that will help you, and I'll just sprinkle in my own advice along the way. As the pilot episode of this podcast, we're still figuring out how we want to make this work. So this is our outline for the show, and if you have ideas, please let me know because I would love to incorporate that into what we're doing here. So first, I introduce myself, and then I'll talk about today in sex, kind of the latest things that are happening in the world right now. Then we'll get into your questions that you can send in using a voice memo and then sent to our email, thelovedoctorpodcast at gmail.com. And then normally at the end, I will interview a special guest. And today, since we're in quarantine, the only person I can interview is my husband. Yay! So we'll talk to you about what it's been like living in our tiny loft apartment just the two of us for the last, how long, Levi? Two months? It's a great time. The only door that we have is to the bathroom. So, get ready for that. Okay, so let's start with our first segment here. Today in sex. So I was scrolling through Facebook the other day, and one of my friends had a post, and it said, You can now get condoms delivered on Skip the Dishes. What a world we live in. This was amazing. I was like, no, no, there's no way. So I did what any normal person would do, and I looked it up if I could order condoms on Skip the Dishes. Okay, so this is what I found out. I live in Victoria, BC. No dice here. But Nanaimo, where my friend lives and where I grew up, you can. 7-Eleven is providing condoms for you to order on Skip the Dishes. It's nestled right in between the aspirin and the fisherman's friends, and you can get a three-pack of the Sensi Thin Jurex condoms. But it got me thinking about condoms and using condoms, especially right now during the COVID-19 pandemic. I actually just read this Global News article where it talks about a company in Malaysia called Carex BHD, and that company there, they make one in every five condoms globally. That's a lot of condoms, as you can imagine. But what's really crazy is that because of COVID-19, people can't be coming into work regularly and working in these production facilities to make condoms. So all of these newspaper articles are like, quick, stock up on your condoms, get them with your toilet paper, because we're going to be running out. And it made me think, are condoms and the people who make them an essential service? I'm wondering what that's going to mean for the world when we have this condom shortage. Are we going to see a spike in STIs now along with pandemic? But in the meantime, if you really need them, go on Skip the Dishes. 
So let's get into uh, your questions. Thank you so much to the people who called in, left me emails or Instagram messages. And I'm really excited to get into these really great questions that you've asked. So here is the first one. Hi, Leah. I don't know if this is really a question more as something that maybe could just be explored a little further. Uh, Recently, I have been coming to terms with maybe some systematic sexual expectation, coming to terms with the fact that a healthy relationship and a good relationship does not require having to have sex every opportunity you get. So basically, like, I consider myself a pretty sexually active person, and my boyfriend, on the other hand, probably has a bit of a lesser libido than I do, Um, especially when he's dealing with stressful contacts in his life, like exams or, you know, he's really tired from working or whatever that can really impact our sex life. Um, And through some of the conversations we had about it, I kind of, you know, when it first started to happen, it made me feel really rejected and that there was something wrong in our relationship that he didn't want me. He didn't find me attractive. I would try and like almost throw myself at him and he would kind of be like oh you know I'm pretty tired like let's just cuddle and that would that would hurt me a little bit uh for sure and I kind of bottled it up a bit dismissing the thoughts going through my head but at one point we did have a conversation around it of course he felt terrible he did not want to make me feel that way uh we talked a lot about it his reasoning behind not wanting to have sex as often as I do and then I had to think a lot about why I felt this immense need to always have sex. Um, Sex always had to happen in order for me to feel confident in our relationship. Am I really a super sexually active person or do I just think I need to be because of what, I don't know, society or culture, my past has told me that that is needed in order for me to be in a healthy relationship. So, I'm super looking forward to this podcast, and that's that's what I got for you today. Bye. Thank you so much for calling in. Uh, I would just note before I get into that, um, are you outside when you're recording this? Because I'm loving the sounds of like little birds happening as you're talking. Anyway, total sidebar, but that was just lovely reminder that it's spring and how nice it is outside. So my first thought is, I'm really glad that you're investigating where you think these feelings are coming from. Because obviously there there is absolutely nothing wrong with you and the level of sexual desire and your sexual libido. There's a lot of stigma and shame around having a really high sex drive, especially as a woman or people with vulvas and vaginas. We're socialized that we are supposed to be the sexual objects and not necessarily the active participants in sex, the ones who are seeking it and wanting it. So I'm just really glad that you are investigating what that looks like for you and recognizing that maybe a lot of those stories and those myths that we've been told by society that we're supposed to always want to have sex with our partners, they're supposed to always desire us and want to have sex with us, and kind of realizing that That's the story that we've been told again and again, but the actual reality is that it's so different for every single couple, and especially in long-term relationships. Your libido changes over time, and it will with your partner. So I'm thinking about your sexual compatibility. 
You know, it sounds like there are so many things in your relationship that really work so well. And I'm glad that you're able to communicate that with each other. As you said, you're best friends, you communicate well, you really enjoy spending time together and living your lives together. And and both of you see it as a long-term relationship. But one thing that we don't really talk about when we get into relationships is our sexual compatibility with each other. You know, do you have a really high sex drive? And what are your expectations for how often you'd like to be having sex versus your partner? And that can be really tough to to negotiate and to talk about because we're taught that sex should just be this naturally occurring, spontaneous thing, that you'll both be feeling it in the exact moment and you'll orgasm it in the exact same time. It'll be this magical thing with fireworks. It takes a lot more communication than that. And it sounds like you're already putting in the time and the skills to have that clear communication with each other. What I'm wondering, though, maybe as a bit of advice, if if there are times that you are really feeling like you would like to have sex and you want to feel that connection with him and maybe it's you know it's a physical release you really just want to orgasm or maybe it is you know you do want to have that that intimacy with your partner maybe it could be like a like a mutual masturbation sort of thing so he could hold you or stroke your hair or anything that that you like having done while you masturbate so then there isn't the pressure on him to sexually perform but maybe it's about allowing you to have that release and to have that sense of connection and pleasure while he's also there and assisting you with it and he's very much a part of that. I also really, I like that you touched on the media and how especially uh, women are socialized to be sexually passive. And I just think that's really great having that, that critical engagement around What is it that I'm actually feeling? And do I think this is a marker of a successful relationship for me to constantly have desire for my partner and for us to have sex a certain amount of times a week for it to actually be successful, putting little air quotes around successful, versus what's the story that we've been told again and again in the movies and the TV shows that we see that tell us what a good relationship is supposed to look like? It sounds like you're you're taking all the right steps of really communicating about that. But I think digging in for both of you, you know, is it a sense of that complacency because you're in a long-term relationship is he feeling like I don't need to put in that effort because I know that we are going to have lots of sex over a long period of time. There's one thing that I also wanted to share. There's this great article that I was just reading, I'm going to send to you. It is called The Enduring Enigma of Female Sexual Desire. Uh, Originally, I looked at all of these different really great research articles, but of course, a lot of people don't have access to these academic articles. And this article cites all of the most recent research from a lot of really great researchers, including Dr. Lori Brado, who is at the UBC Sex Lab. And she does a lot of work around female desire. The one thing that I just pulled from that article is this quote saying, some studies have even found that men in relationships are as likely as women to be the member of the couple with the lower level of sexual desire. We have positioned men always as the the sexual aggressors, the one who are wanting to initiate sex. So just trying to talk to your partner and be really honest about yourself, well, what does that look like for you? And what are the realities that are beyond what we're being told in the media? Thank you so much. So this is a a question that someone sent in and they just emailed it. So I'm just going to read it out loud. 
I'm a 25-year-old female with a physical disability, neuromuscular disease, so I am wheelchair-bound. Is there anything you can do to climax faster? I really struggle to reach the big O. Like, I need to be pounded for a solid 40 minutes with some clit stimulus thrown in there before I can actually reach orgasm. Most of my sexual partners never last long enough. I have had five sexual partners and have only been able to climax with two. I was in a relationship with one of those, so I'm sure the emotional bond helped, maybe? Anyways, any tips uh, to help you reach the big O when you're not super sensitive down there? I'm so glad you called in because we don't have enough representation of people with different abilities calling in and talking about their sexual health. Really, discussions on sexuality are so ableist and really a very narrow scope of who we think is sexual or should be sexual beings. So I'm just really glad that you're bringing it up and thinking about accessibility and who do we hear about in terms of these sexual stories. So I'm just I'm very, very honored that, that you called in. So really, it is all about foreplay. It's about getting the blood flowing, getting yourself excited, and all of that lead up before you actually get to the type of sex that you're wanting to have. And it sounds like from your question here that it's penetrative sex that really gets you going with some, what do you say here, some clit stimulus thrown in there before I can reach orgasm. It's so great that you have that language of knowing what gets you to orgasm because that is so helpful in communicating that with a partner. I think you're right, though. You said that one of your other partners before, you've only been able to climax with two of them and one of those you were in a relationship with. And not to say that you can't have great casual sex with someone who doesn't know you that well or you don't know them, uh, but often when you're in a relationship with someone, the communication that you can have and the time that you've had to get to know each other's bodies, get to know what you like, know what you don't like, and to be able to communicate that effectively, often that, that takes time to build. So I would say lots of lots of teasing and things to get you excited. One thing specifically, if you really do like penetration and that's really the thing that gets you going, maybe um, asking your partner to use a dildo or a vibrator either on yourself and you can show them what you like and then your partner using them. Uh, just different ways for you to still get that penetration. But again, as you said, some of them, some of the people that you've slept with, they can't last that long, especially if it takes 40 minutes for you to orgasm. You know, we have sex toys for a reason. They are such a wonderful tool to help in the bedroom. So after using either a dildo or a vibrator, maybe you can also use a strap-on with your partner, uh, either one that they can wear um, above their penis. If they do have a penis, there's even ones where you can put your penis inside of the dildo. I haven't actually like seen those, but I have heard that they're quite good because you just slip it in there. Uh, But then it doesn't become an issue of someone lasting or orgasming before you've had a chance to orgasm because you are using these sex toys as a tool to help you to orgasm. It's great to know what works for you and your body so you can effectively communicate that to someone else. And then trying different ways of masturbating can really reveal different aspects that might stimulate you. And one really great thing is for people with vulvas, often it can take quite a while to actually reach your orgasmic plateau. So that's, you know, as you orgasm, you've reached a point where subsequent orgasms after that are much easier to obtain. But then once you hit that orgasmic plateau, 
this is where multiple orgasms can come into play, where it's so much easier once you're already there to keep orgasming. So maybe before you move into penetrative sex, maybe that's when you're using a dildo and you're masturbating. And once you've had your first orgasm, then you can move into penetrative sex and then it'll become easier after that. As I mentioned before to the first caller, this article that I just linked is really, really great because it talks about female desire and just busting apart that that's shame and the stigma and really the lack of resources and conversations that we have about female pleasure and just gets you talking about these things in different ways. The last thing that I would recommend, and this is something that I have quite enjoyed, is called erogenous zone mapping. So a lot of the time we like to think of only specific parts of our bodies as sexual. So maybe that's our breasts or our butts or our vulvas, penises, but a lot of other parts of our bodies feel really pleasurable to be touched. So if you can have time with your partner where one at a time you really massage all over your your partner's body and really take your time and say, you know, what what feels good? You know, maybe they love being tugged on the earlobe or they love feet being massaged and it just really gets them fired up. And there are all these different parts of your body that can be really pleasurable to have them touched that can actually stimulate and get other parts of your body going. Okay, let's move to the next caller. Hey, Leah. Um, I just had a question for your podcast. Um, my whole life, I... My parents have had a very, like, my parents have had a very much the attitude of don't ask about sex, don't, like, talk about it. It's, like, really taboo in my family. And the only real education I was told was to wait until marriage. So I was wondering, uh, from your perspective, what do you think parents can do to have a more open and healthy conversation with their kids about Uh, not just puberty and growing up, but going into the adult world and having healthy conversations about sex. Thank you. So with this recording, I just want to read this little bit that this caller also sent to me. They said, My whole life my parents have told me to wait until marriage and never told me anything about my body. This meant that when I got my first period, I didn't know what it was. I was so ashamed and scared that I hid it from my parents for over a year. I hope your podcast can shed some light on this, as I'm sure my experience with my parents is far from uncommon. Unfortunately, you're right. This story is far too common, and especially for people with vulvas. So there are a lot of uh, studies that talk about uh, menstrual shame, uh, and they're linking that to feelings of genital shame, and then that can lead into sexual shame and effects on our sexual confidence. So really... A lot of these conversations we have about sexual health um, at any age, and especially for people with vulvas, that feeling of shame or embarrassment can really start when we have our first period. Uh, It's actually called menarche. So that can be your word of the day, menarche, your first period. So unfortunately, we aren't really given a, a fighting shot right at the beginning because any sort of shame or stigma or embarrassment that our parents are feeling, they can pass that along to us and that can lead into feelings of sexual shame as we grow up. And actually, a, a big part of my own research, I'll say, is that I, because I work with youth and I work with older adults, 
A big part is bringing those people together to talk about sexual health at any age because a lot of the time the stigma that we feel as young adults moving into middle age, being into older adults, a lot of those ideas that we have about sexuality and those first that first introduction and education that we received as youth and as as children or as young people, those inform our decisions as we age. So if right at the beginning, if your parents are giving you a stigmatizing or a shaming experience talking about sex, that can actually manifest across our whole lives and create kind of a double burden as we get older because our society is really quite ageist and also your shame just compounds over time. Obviously, there are ways to not have that happen and I hope that this is a part of that. So I'm thinking about your question in terms of you know, your parents and how do we, as, you know, children of those parents who maybe didn't give us the best education or conversations about sex, but then also if we plan to become parents, how do we stop that trajectory of shaming without sometimes without even meaning to, but shaming our own children and them feeling uncomfortable about sex? The first thing is, you know, our parents are tasked with looking after us and making sure that we're safe, but they can often feel uncomfortable and they can transfer those feelings onto us. The first thing I would say to parents who are out there, you need to educate yourselves. You know, hopefully your children, you are going to be that first point of contact to start having these conversations and you need to better prepare yourself. If you know that it's going to be really uncomfortable for you and there's you just have a mind block up, you need to find other resources for your child, whether they're a child or they're a teenager, a young adult, so on and so forth. Make sure that they have access to resources to have these conversations. Whether or not you feel comfortable to have these conversations, your child or teenager or young adult, they deserve to have answers. They deserve to have education and open conversations about what sexuality means for them and what sexual health will look like across their whole lives. So maybe you don't feel equipped, but, you know, maybe, you know, your kid has an aunt or an uncle. I know that in my family, um, I have become kind of the go-to person for um, our nephews and our niece. And even though they're young right now, their parents are already saying, okay, like, I want to talk to them about sex and I don't want them to feel stigmatized. How do I go about that? And so some of those conversations, they might kick the can over to me so I can have that with them. But I'm thinking about being a young adult. The hard thing is your parents, they've already taught you or not about sexual health. And unfortunately for a lot of us, we spend our 20s unlearning that shame and that stigma that we have from our parents. I am super fortunate that my parents are pretty open in having these conversations with me, but I know that for a lot of my friends, a lot of my colleagues, and yourself, caller, that that's not the situation. So you'll probably have to spend some time really investigating what that means for yourself um, in terms of sexual health and your own sexuality. And it's unlearning that shame and that stigma that either explicitly or implicitly came from our parents and from society as well. I'm going to put a link in here as well. It's a great 
website that has a ton of resources. And what I love about it is that it talks about LGBTQ plus orientations. It also talks about body image and education, and it talks all about these different perspectives and has a real intersectional approach. So a lot of different people from multiple different walks of life talking about their experiences. Um, I can only say I'm a white, cisgendered, bisexual woman. So that's the lens through which I see the world and understand my own sexuality. But being able to have resources that are more inclusive and that really talk about the different realities of sexuality across different identities, I think that's really important. So I have that link here as well. Hi, Dr. Tidy. Uh, had a quick question for you. Uh, some advice, maybe. Uh, I'm a cis male in a relationship, and we have a bit of a routine with our sex life, but due to quarantine, we're spending way more time together than usual, which is fantastic, but because we don't spend that time apart and we're spending so much time together, it's sort of changed our sexual behavior. And I'm wondering if you have any suggestions to sort of keep the sex life interesting um, with this brand new quarantine routine that we're all in. Thank you so much. So this is a great question about really just keeping things interesting with your partner when you're in quarantine together. I'm also living with my partner and not having that time apart each day has definitely made it difficult to keep it interesting and not fall into this total sexual routine and into like a rut of what we always do. So first, if you have space in your house to have some alone time, I think that'd be really important. Even just reading a book on the couch while your partner is in the kitchen or in the bedroom, having some sort of physical separation and some alone time will actually make you appreciate being around your partner again. Second, I think now really is the time to try out those new sex toys or those positions that really you've been meaning to try and you haven't had the time yet to explore. Sex toy sales are totally on the rise right now, and so many people are uh, supporting local businesses by buying all of those different sex toys that they've been interested in trying. So the third thing is uh, trying to have sex in different places. You know, we get into that rut of like, we always have to be in our bed to be having sex. Do you have a basement, a backyard, or even your roof? Just trying to find a place that's totally different and totally out of your routine. And actually, there's a whole theory about it called sexual scripts. So we're told from the media and from our personal experiences, like what kind of sex we should be having. And we create it in our own mind that we should only be doing certain types of sex in certain places. To really get ourselves out of those repetitive scripts, we really need to shake it off. So going onto your roof, if that's possible, or even, you know, making out in your kitchen or getting it on in the bathroom, just something that takes you out of that routine and shakes things up a little bit. Thank you so much for calling in. I'm now going to turn it over to having a brief conversation with my hubby, who has been sitting downstairs this whole time very quietly, very respectfully. To be fair, I do that for him all the time when he's filming, so I feel like it's all right. He owes me. So, Levi, do you want to come talk to me about what it's been like being in our tiny apartment for the last, what, almost two months? Okay. He is coming upstairs, everyone. Okay. Hi, Levi. Thanks for coming upstairs and uh, talking to me. Yeah, well, I'm happy to be here. 
<laughs> There's nowhere else you'd rather be. Absolutely. Or can be. Also true. <laughs> so I kind of said at the beginning of the show that you and I would have a brief conversation about what has it been like being together pretty much nonstop for the last two months. And especially in a tiny apartment, I don't know, what has that done for our relationship? I'm actually interested to see what you have to say about this. I don't know. Am I going to keep all of this in the recording? We will see. <laughs> I don't know. Um, I, I'm actually pretty impressed with us, I would say. Hmm. I, I think we've done really well, considering the fact that we've been with each other nonstop every single day, almost 24 hours a day for the last seven weeks in I'm, a row. That's that's pretty good. Yeah. With no like, major injuries. Yeah. No. <laughs> But, but it is interesting how it has shifted some of the dynamics in the relationship, like you having experiences with anxiety that you don't typically have, mm-hmm. and me having to sort of be the stable one, which yeah. is not normally my wheelhouse. That's not normally our equilibrium. It's normally I'm pretty steady. Like, you, what do you... What is your analogy? I'm like a rock in the ocean, and you are the piece of seaweed that's stuck to me, but is like in the waves, kind of rolling around. I am the seaweed right now, and you are the rock. It's nice, actually. <laughs> I, I feel like uh, my day has come. I feel like I've done a lot of um, work, like talking to friends, talking to different colleagues and collaborators about about mental health before this, before the pandemic, and being like, this is absolutely a natural thing, and I understand you. And I feel, I had really no idea. I'm a very empathetic person, but the last seven weeks has given me a crash course in what is it like to feel anxious and to try and to hold on to the things that make you feel normal. And that's that's been hard for me. Yeah, it's I, I. But I think like even I was saying this in the shower uh, <laughs> uh, like thirty minutes ago. Um, your anxious state is most people's normal state. Wow, um, I'm biased, of course, but uh, you know, like a big part of why we got married in the first place is that being married to you is like being married to this little ball of sunshine, and that's really nice for. Me as a person who is, I mean, surprisingly, maybe people won't, wouldn't assume this about me, but uh, I'm naturally pretty pessimistic or naturally uh, critical of myself and, you know, things uh, around me. So I've sort of manufactured positivity around myself uh, out of necessity and you just kind of came bounding along and uh you know you you provide a lot of that for me when i when i need it and so you know i think this teaches me a lot about um the the constant need for reevaluating and recalibrating the relationship like mm-hmm. i i think you talk about sex so you know like just a little bit <laughs> if if cowgirl works for you and your partner for months or years and then one day it stops working it's not because the relationship isn't working it's because you haven't adjusted your relationship to the changes that have naturally occurred and this is only going to happen more and more as the relationship goes on Mm -hmm. i feel like a part of it is like 
adjusting expectations, not like lowering expectations or anything else. But if you have an expectation, I'm going to keep running with your cowgirl analogy here. If you have the expectation that every time you're in cowgirl, you're going to orgasm. And then one time you don't, you're like, oh no. And then you start getting into the rhythm of, is there something wrong with me? Is there something wrong with them? Is there what has changed and you can start internalizing that instead of being like oh actually I've just become so habituated to this one way of doing things that my body hasn't had time to try different things and to feel things in a new way but I feel like that's what's happening but with my brain (laughs) (laughs) it's like oh you normally just feel great in most days I'm like oh look I'm watering the peas outside and you and I are going to have breakfast together and it's going to be so wonderful. And then I'll listen to something on the news and then I'll just lie down on the couch and cry. And that is weird for me. I think that's an important sort of perspective to have just kind of on the way you live your life in general. Like we... We like there's this saying that you like you shouldn't walk the same way to work mm. every day because mm-hmm. it sort of like recalibrates your neural pathways and stuff. But I I like to like think about that just like in your life in general. Like mm. it's so easy to seek comfort to like always do the things that you know you like and and really like latch on to those things. But that also means that if if they change or they aren't available in the same ways that they were before that can really throw you for a loop and i think we've done a decent job in bed of keeping it alive not out of necessity but out of uh just sort of natural changes you know like we we just things come and go as they do in life and i think people in sex in particular are like oh my god it worked so don't ever change it. <laughs> <laughs> I orgasm this time and I have a really hard time orgasming. I must do this one thing precisely the same. Yeah. I think you're right. Like it's putting that intense pressure on yourself and then on your body to perform or behave in a certain way instead of being open to the experimentation. And I think, especially for you and I, I think what people see in your videos is something I don't want you to think too much about us in the bedroom. I mean, you can if you want, but it's very playful, right? Yeah. Like there's there's an energy where we can um, we can talk, but we can also like laugh and make jokes, and that is something that's woven into all aspects of our lives, including our sexual life. And I feel like laughter in the bedroom is a great great thing. I think that 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 laughter is easier to produce and embrace when you aren't considering every sexual act as a sexual performance Mm, mm -hmm. Um, of course we can let's not get into performativity necessarily but (laughs) um like practice like when you practice uh uh, something of any kind of dance move per Mm -hmm. se uh, that dance move is not going to go well every single time that you practice it, and mm. you may fall, and that might be hilarious. <laughs> it's like you trying handstands right now. Exactly. And me, because I landed on my forehead today. <laughs> exactly. But, you know, like, if you every time you went into trying a, a handstand, every time you didn't get it right, you got mad or you got anxious or nervous, like, you'd never want to do a handstand again. Mm. You'd and never try anything new. Exactly. So I think, like, treating it always as practice and never as as performance is is a great mentality because you're you're not you're not going to get it right because that's impossible. Yeah. Getting absolutely. it right is is an illusion. 
Mm. That's great. Thanks. (laughs) (laughs) Anything else about us being in our tiny apartment, what it's like as a... As a couple, as as people, as sexual partners, like what is what has that been like? Um, I think I think I recognized a bit of a need for space. Like when things were really stressful in the in the middle there, it was like there was kind of a realization that oh, like we should probably create time outside of our little bubble, mm-hmm. and that was really difficult. It wasn't super easy, but like. Even just the fact that I go for a run two or three or four times a week and that's like an hour where I'm not in the house. It's, you know, like those little things are are nice. And and I think it's important to not feel like you have to be near your partner. You have to be with them all the time Mm -hmm. um, to to make it work or for it to be working. Yeah, because normally, you know, both of us are quite busy. We normally work from home, but also working from home means going to coffee shops to work, going to meetings quite often. And then when you come home, A, you have something new to talk about, and B, you're excited to be home because you don't have to be on. You know, when you're out in the world, you're, you're kind of, you're just on. And there's different when you can just kind of settle into yourself. And I found even like going grocery shopping by myself, while sometimes stressful right now, even the act of walking to the grocery store by myself, buying things, coming back, is just kind of amazing because you realize you're not spending time in your own thoughts and I didn't think I realized how much I valued I don't mean this to sound mean I don't think how much I valued silence until (laughs) (laughs) until we were together all the time I I love you so much love you too babe (laughs) is is that where we stop the recording no No, I honestly, I, I agree with you, though. Like, I'm I'm pretty proud of how we've been doing so far. I think we're pretty privileged because we don't have kids. We're both able to yeah. still work. Yeah. Um, and I think that's really helped with some semblance of normalcy oh, right God, now. Oh, God, if we didn't have stuff to do, I'd be, I'd be losing my mind. Yeah, sure. that that would be hard. No. That would be, that'd be hard. But, yeah, I, I, I think that it's an interesting time for us to analyze our our relationships and you know take stock of what we have and what we would like to have absolutely and now sometimes we have a bit more time than we normally do to have these conversations right Mm -hmm. and speaking of other things that we get to do um i gotta put that sourdough in the oven perfect right i'm so excited i hope this one turns out good by the way that wasn't that's not like a metaphor Oh, no, sorry. That's a sex thing. That's like a, I made sourdough bread and now I got to put it in the oven. Put that sourdough in the oven. No, I am not pregnant. We're not trying to get get pregnant. Sourdough in there. 450 degrees. Get it real hot. Levi. (laughs) Oh, jeez. Okay, well, I think we're going to leave it there before Levi starts whispering sweet nothings into the microphone. The next episode is going to be ASMR. <laughs> no, it will not. The is going ASMR. No, it's not, everyone. Don't. Don't believe him. All right. Thank you so much for joining me today and listening to the Love Doctor podcast. If you want your questions to be answered on the show, send a voice memo to thelovedoctorpodcast at gmail.com. You can also check me out on Twitter or Instagram and send me a message. Let me know what are the things that you want covered on the show and I will do my darndest. 
to get them on here. Until then, folks, stay healthy, stay safe, stay consensual. <laughs>